It's good to see each and every one of you today. We want to welcome you to the services here. We'd like to uh, say a welcome to each one who's here with us and uh, to let you know, for those of you that are joining us via the internet, that we are located at 4052 Arno Road here in Franklin, about 15 minutes south of Nashville. And we want to say a welcome to all of you who are here with us this morning and to all of you who are watching on the internet. That's what I just said. Our services may be seen on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio. So if you're visiting Nashville or the Nashville, Tennessee area, we'd love to have you come and visit with us. I'm going to read a few, uh, sorry, a portion anyway of Psalm 100. So let us enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. And since we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and singing, let us have our brother Josh Walsh come now and lead us in song. Oh, 
I would be uh, I would be off in the rough were it not for the shepherd. Isn't that true? Especially in everything that's going on today in the modern world. Uh, Three eighty nine. Everybody, we're going to sing another song before we have announcements. I am resolved. Also, take some resolved. some announcements and then we'll sing a little bit more. Good morning. I'd like to add my welcome to that of Elder Turner's and say uh, welcome uh, not only those of you who are here with us but those who are watching via the internet. This is a time of the service where we make a few prayer announcements and ask that as the Lord brings them to your mind this week that you would lift them up before him 
So our pastor and Miss Lynn are both not here again today as they are still ill, so we want to continue to lift them up before the Lord. <clears throat> we also want to uh, ask the blessings upon Elder Turner as he will speak to us again today. Uh, we want to, uh, many of you received an email that uh, Sean, uh, not Sean, I'm sorry, Steve Cothran's father, <clears throat> John Alvin Cothran, passed away this past week and they had a service for him yesterday. We want to remember Steve and his family before the Lord. We also want to remember Becky Smith has a friend named Ashley Wolf, Rolf, and her mother and father came in to help him move this week. And while here, her mother tripped over a curb and broke her hip. And uh, she's in Williamson Medical Center awaiting surgery today. So let's remember her before the Lord. And also, her husband has a heart condition and doesn't deal with stress very well. So let's lift him up before the Lord as well. We certainly want to continue to remember Carl and Ruby Perry. We want to remember Beth Moran's cousin's husband, Richard Stevenson. We also want to remember Becky Smith's mother, Ruth, who is going to have some more blood tests soon. <clears throat> we want to continue to remember Evelyn Caracos' sister, Betty, who continues with some health problems. Uh, Nathan Smith mentioned to the, me this morning that he has a friend named Chloe Thompson that has fractured her tibia and sprained her MCL and is going to be on crutches for about a week or two, so let's remember her. We certainly want to remember... Um, the Smiths, who will be traveling, uh, they will be gone from us June the 16th through the 26th, going to Michigan in celebration of Nathan's graduation from high school, so let's remember them. <clears throat> Sue Martin's son, Justin, has a friend whose mother passed away this week. Let's lift that family up before the Lord. And we certainly want to always remember uh, Marie Dalton, Glad Gladys Alquist, and her son, Carolyn Batt, Paul Osborne, as he ministers to his wife, Diane, and Tabetha. Certainly Calvin and Julie LePetri, and Howie Smith as he serves in the military. I want to remind you also that we will have a fellowship dinner coming up uh, July the 3rd. And presently there is no one signed up to help prepare the, the fellowship hall or to clean up afterwards. So if that's something that you might be willing to do, uh, the sign-up sheet is on the round table in the foyer. We ask that you would uh, do that today. That We might know that that's covered. <clears throat> we also want to... Um, remind you that if you want to support the ministry of Grace Church here, uh, there's an offering plate located on that round table in the foyer as well, and you can give your tithes and offerings there. <clears throat> All right, Josh is going to come and lead us in some more singing. Thank you. Well, I want to say good morning again to everybody and everybody over the internet. It's just about 11 o'clock, so if you're just now joining us online... We want to say a welcome. This is usually a time when Brother Bill and Lynn come up and sing and uh, lead us in their song or, or sing some of their wonderful songs that they've written. But like we've said, they're still recovering this week. So big shoes to fill, but, but here I am. And now you got to put up with me singing some of this week. We're going to do farther along if y'all want to sing with us. Um, you know, it's. I think Brother Bill mentioned to me one time, if you read all these lyrics, it kind of seems like this person was a little bitter when they, when they wrote it. But, so we don't want to be bitter when we sing it, but it is, sometimes you see all the things going on and think, I just don't understand all the chaos in the world. But we have a Lord that is outside, above, in control of all of those things, and I think we'll probably understand it, at least just when we're worshiping Him, we'll understand that all things are orchestrated for the glory of our Savior, and that's what will will happen on this earth. Tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. 
for putting that in PowerPoint. That was good. Miss Sue, what do we have next? He Included Me. Let's sing this song, He Included Me. If you've never heard it, just kind of try and follow along. It's an easy one to get. <clears throat> if you're able to stand, let's all stand up.
270 in your hymnal. <clears throat> How many of you need a place to rest in this world? How many? And how many of you have one? Hey, that's good news. I hope if you're here, you have one. If not, you're in a good place to find out about a haven of rest because our Lord Jesus Christ is the only haven of rest that you can find on the late, great planet Earth. <laughs> I think that was an old book, wasn't it, by Hal Lindsey? But we're still here. The Earth is still spinning. And we still need a haven of rest. And until our Lord comes on the clouds and puts all of his enemies under his feet, we're just going to have to rest in him right here. Can the Lord's people say amen to that? Amen. A haven of rest. Let's revel in this. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress.
Hey, Mr. Ken, can I throw a curveball at you? Can you look in the computer and see if we can get up there quickly? There's a joy, that song from Brother Bill and Lynn. There's a joy. I can't, their book is not right here. I was going to try and remember it. Do y'all, how many of you have heard Brother Bill and Lynn's CDs? How many of you are familiar with There's a Joy, that song? I thought maybe it would be a good time to sing that. It goes something like this. See, if we can try and get the uh, lyrics up there. But There's a joy that comes from serving the Lord. There's a joy that comes knowing His Word. There's a deep down comes from up above. There's a peace that comes from doing His will. There's a peace that comes and I can be still. There's a deep down wonderful joy. Just to know my Lord Who cares what the world may say Who cares they can take me away Who cares how Satan may try I know for me Christ was crucified Put your trust in Him And you will find joy Take Him at His word And you will rejoice There's a deep down wonderful joy just to know my Lord. Does that ring a bell to anybody? We're going to try it again. We're going to sing it again, but we might not have the lyrics up there, but y'all just listen and praise. Can you clap your hands with me? There's a joy that comes from serving the Lord. There's a joy that comes from knowing His Word. There's a deep down wonderful joy that comes from up above. There's a peace that comes from doing His will. There's a peace that comes and I can be still. There's a deep down wonderful joy just to know my Lord. Listen to this. Who cares what the world may say? Who cares they can take me away? Who cares how Satan may try? I know for me Christ was crucified. Put your trust in Him, and you will find joy. Take Him at His word, and you will rejoice. There's a deep down wonderful joy just to know my Lord. There's a deep down wonderful joy just to know my Lord. So this week, if you're having trouble with $5 gasoline or anything else, just remember there's a joy in the Lord. Just remember that. (laughs) All right, everybody, y'all can be seated. I think Elder Turner, I'm sorry if I set him down too early. We may have to stand up once more, but that's okay. Elder Turner's going to come and bring the Lord's word to us.
remain standing for just another minute or two. We're going to read from God's word. By our standing, we show honor to that word. I want to read a passage from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 45. I'm going to read it from the New International Version, the NIV, so it may be something different than what you've got, but I like the wording here. And so uh, I want to read it from that, and then I'll get my King James to teach from, okay? In Isaiah chapter 45, beginning at verse 20, gather together and come. Assemble you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be, present it. Let them take counsel together. For who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you now as we call upon you in Christ our Lord. We thank you for your marvelous grace. Thank you for blessing us with another opportunity to assemble in this place. And we do ask that you would bless us with the outpouring of your spirit, that we may indeed draw nigh unto thee, that we find in you a help to worship you at this time. We find in your spirit an opening, an eye-opening experience that we might see and understand what you have for us in the scriptures. May the blessed spirit take that word and bless it to our hearts. For we ask these blessings now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. And you may be seated. We don't need as many Bibles as I have. I have a lot more at home, but <laughs> believe it or not, I use a lot of different Bibles when I study. I've got uh, the one I just read from, my King James, and then I have a, another one that's a study Bible. I have a names topical Bible, and then just go to a lot of different things to try to gather and glean as much as I can from the Word. Uh, so that as I stand here, I have more than just my words to say to the people of God. The text that I just read is a very precious verse of scripture, a most gracious invitation that's given by our God. And when I think of the congregation here, the people to whom I'm speaking, as the Lord has blessed us with the pastor that he's given us low these many years, it would almost seem like I'm preaching to the choir, and that probably is true. But I have to tell you what the Lord's laid on my heart, <laughs> so bear with me. I don't know exactly why we need uh, to consider this gracious invitation 
But if we know our Lord, he has a purpose in it. There's someone who needs to hear it. I did. So perhaps you will as well. Y'all excuse me. Let me get rid of some of this stuff. All right. As we come to our text, when we consider the chapter as a whole now in the Sunday school classes, when I'm teaching, I have been bringing a study from the book of Isaiah. And it was in reading and studying for this, and this was some time ago, we're 10 chapters past this now, but uh, this struck me as a passage to, to give some consideration to. Notice verse 22. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and then there is none else. How gracious an invitation could one who is so holy give to a people that are so sinful? We consider this chapter, you're going to find that this is a it is indeed a, a chapter. It is, it's, a, it's a book of prophecy. Isaiah was foretelling things that are to come in the immediate future. And the things that were to happen to the people in the immediate future were pictures, were types of what is to happen in the future. The time in which we live as we consider Christ and his people, the church. But you'll find in uh, the opening verse of this chapter, as well as in the previous chapter, verse 28, that God has a deliverer. He has prepared a deliverer for his people. They are in bondage in Babylon. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian empire to use as a chastening rod to his people because they had forsaken him. They had turned their back on him. They had gone after strange gods and forsaken the true God. And he has put them in captivity and told them the length of their captivity was going to be 70 years. And here he tells us that he says, I have a servant. I have a, in chapter 44, verse 28. Well, let's begin at verse 27 to pick up the thought. Who saith to the deep be dry, and I will dry up the rivers. Who saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. It's called here, Cyrus, a man, king of the Assyrians, is called, or a Medo-Persian king actually, not the Assyrian king, but he is called a shepherd. We have a shepherd. We have the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse one of the chapter we're reading, thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. 
Here God calls this Cyrus his anointed. That's the meaning of the word Messiah. That's the meaning of the Greek word Christ, Christos, is the anointed of God. This man Cyrus then is to be seen as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is intended to be a blessing to the people to deliver them. A new deliverance. They had a deliverance under the leadership of Moses. Remember, God raised up Moses to deliver the people out of the land of Egypt. And at that time, he established with the people a memorial, which we observed just last week in observing the Lord's Supper, the Passover. He told them that that was to be a memorial to them, and it was to be something that would put them in remembrance of how God had delivered that people. So that when the children asked what they were doing on these special occasion, they could rehearse the story of their deliverance. Well, the deliverance from Babylon is almost as great as the deliverance from Egypt. And it was to be remembered by the people. And why is that? Because both of these were pictures of God delivering his people out of this world out of sin, and saving them from that sin. But again, I want you to consider the text that we have before us. This is a word spoken by the Almighty in verse 22. You'll find in verse 21, he makes use of his name. He says, who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from uh, that time? Have not I the Lord? That's Jehovah. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The way that he had revealed himself to his people through them. I'm Jehovah. And he says, not only that, but there is no God, there is no El, There is no almighty except me. And in verse 22, when it says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. Again, he uses the word, the name almighty. He is the almighty God. But between those two, he uses another. He says, there is no God else beside me. It's the name Elohim which is a plural form of the name of God. We have a one God, but he takes a plural name. Why is that? Because there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All are one. We have the Godhead represented here in this message of deliverance. So the message, this invitation, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. These are words that are spoken by a benevolent being, one who has much love, one who has much compassion. We have one who is known for speaking truth. God is truthful. There are some things we have a sovereign God, there are some things that God cannot do. And lying is one of them. 
He cannot lie because he will not deny himself. So, if you say it's something he cannot do or simply something he will not do, that's, you know, your choice of words there. But it is against the character of God. If you'll see that he spoke openly to the people. Look back at verse 19, the verse just prior to what we read. He said, I've not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said, not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. So we have a God who has spoken openly, not hidden. When you see these words, look unto me and be ye saved. These are not, the meaning of that word is not hidden. It's not saying something uh, in so many words and we have to try to uh, discern the meaning of those things and, and come up with something else. What was God saying here? It's plain. Look unto me. Look unto me and you'll be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Christ told his disciples in John chapter 18 and verse 20 that his word was truthful. He said, I, I spoke openly to the world. John 18 verse 20. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. He was open in his speaking and his teaching of the word of God. We have a God who is so gracious that he does not confuse his word, but he speaks openly, doesn't try to hide. He did not do anything in secret, but everything was open to be observed of man. We find that this is a word that was spoken in time to encourage the people who were in bondage. The people were still in the Babylonian captivity, but they were about to be delivered. So it was a word spoken in season. We have a society today that seems to be in bondage. Much fear on the hearts of the people. And we have, unfortunately, it seems that we have um, leadership in this country that delights to play upon the fear of the people. As a matter of fact, they try to create, generate fear and use that to keep their own power and to keep the people subdued. But we do not need to be afraid. We have a God who is a great God and who speaks openly to us and has told us that we can look to him. This looking is the equivalent of believing. Look unto me. Look, to you. look unto me in all things. Look unto me for instruction. Look unto me for help. Look unto me for guidance. Look unto me for salvation. Look unto me, for I am the only one that can help you. He's giving a word here to encourage them 
and at the same time to enable their faith. We mentioned the passage in John earlier, John 18, but uh, turn over to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 13. Christ told his disciples why he spoke to them of future events of his death. And he says in chapter 13 and verse 19, Now I tell you before it come, speaking here uh, of his death and how it was to come to pass, how he was going to be betrayed, He says, I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am. Now the word he is in italics, it's not in the original. So he was telling them that I'm telling you what's going to happen in the future, how that these things, when they come to pass, you will know that I am. Christ is saying, I am God. That's the name by which God Almighty revealed himself to Moses. When he said, when you go and you stand before Pharaoh, Moses said, well, who who am I going to tell Pharaoh has sent me? He said, you tell him I am that I am hath sent thee. And so that's what Christ is saying here. I'm telling you what's going to come to pass so that when it comes to pass, you'll know that I am, that he is God. We have a sure word from God. We have one who has compassion to speak in love. We have one who speaks with veracity. He speaks the truth. We have a God who is a benevolent being because here in the previous verse, He says, there is no God else beside me. And two things he says about himself. He said, one, I am a just God. And secondly, he says, I am a savior. Now those things don't sound like they would go together very well, does it? When you think of justice and you think of mercy, But those two have come together. Turn back over to the Psalms. Psalm 85, the the Lord has spoken upon the psalmist or through the psalmist to tell us how this has happened. Notice in Psalm 85, he says in verse 10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Where did mercy and truth meet together? In the person of Christ. Where does righteousness and peace kiss? It's in the person of Christ. We have Although some of the commentators I read has spent a long time trying to show how that we should try to reconcile the sovereignty of God and his justice and the mercy of God and his redemption. I think 
why would we need to defend God and try to reconcile something that needs no reconciliation? They are met together. They are at one in the person of Christ. We have in Christ Jesus the evidence of how justice and mercy come together because it tells us that in the death of Christ it made it possible that the Father, God, be both just and justifier of all those that come unto him through Christ. Because he is our substitute. He is the one that has taken our place. Now we we find the, the words of this invitation or look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. He's not speaking only to the Jewish nation here. He's including both Jew and Gentile in these gracious words. Look unto me and be saved. Consider no one is to be denied the opportunity to hear the gospel message. And Christ sent forth his disciples. He said, go forth and preach the gospel unto all the world and baptize those who believe. Not everyone's going to believe, but everyone should hear this message. We have a people who need to hear the message of the gospel of grace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the love of God in Christ for his people. We look at the invitation and we say, well, what's implied in this invitation? What can we understand is going on? Why would there need to be such an invitation? Look unto me and be saved. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is they were not saved. They were lost. He's speaking a word to those who are lost. Speaking a word to those who are yet in their sins and thereby under the wrath of God. He's a just God. Paul tells us over in the book of Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. we find that the scriptures teach us that all fell in Adam. He was our federal head. He was our representative. And when he sinned, we sinned because we were in him. A lot of people don't like that doctrine. They say it's not right. It's not fair. It's not, quote, just for God to condemn me because of something that someone else did. Well, let me ask you this. Since you've been in the world, have you sinned? Anybody here since they were born lived a perfect life? No. We all have sinned. And why do we sin? Because we're sinners. Just like the old illustration that's been given for years and years, the duck has not become a duck when it quacks. It quacks because it is a duck. 
person doesn't become a sinner when they sin. They sin because they are a sinner. That's evidenced by the fact that we have people from infants to old age who die. Why do all? That's one common thing. Why is that? Because sin, the wages of sin is death. So we have fallen Adam. But for all of that, There is no obstacle whatsoever that has been placed in this invitation to keep the sinner from looking. Have you considered that? He simply says, look unto me and be saved. As we said, that's the equivalent of believing. What he has in reference here, or at least there is a reference to what happened to the people in the wilderness. Do you remember as they uh, complained and murmured against God, he sent a judgment upon them in the form of a serpent? And the people began to die from the bite of this poisonous serpent. And Moses, in his intercession for the people, God told him, he said, I want you to take and make a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and lift it up. So that whosoever looks upon that serpent shall live. You know what Christ said to his disciples? Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross for the same purpose that we look to him. People try to confuse us, try to tell us that the scripture's outdated, it's outmoded, it's nothing but a collection of myths and stories, but they know not whereof they speak. The Bible, these 66 books, are the sure word of God. And that's the difference. If you do not believe, if you are not given faith to believe, then you'll not pay any attention to the invitation that God has given you. We find again in the book of John, in chapter 6 and verse 47 of reference, I'd like for us to consider here You know, the, uh, the last part of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 through the end, 66, has been often referred to by some theologians as the fifth gospel. Uh, I've not, you know, because it has so much of Christ, it has so much of the uh, experience of the church, has so much of the relation of the church and Christ as Israel had with God. And uh, so much of Christ is revealed through the types, the shadows, the pictures that we find there. But John is one of the Gospels. And he tells us in uh, chapter 6, verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath ever 
lasting life. What is that but looking unto Christ, looking unto him, coming to him, looking to him, trusting him, believing him. There are no list of do's and don'ts associated with this invitation. It doesn't say, look unto me, all you that don't smoke and don't chew and don't run with those that do. You know, it doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say to do this. It just says, look unto me. Why is that? Because with this invitation, the God who gives it is looking beyond the people to whom he is speaking and considers the one who was their substitute who was their federal head, that in him, he sees them as being just and righteous. And so he says, look. Why? Because Christ has already removed the law. He's already fulfilled the law. When he came upon the earth, part of his mission was to fulfill all the law of God. All of the things that God had revealed to man, he said, when he gave the law, he said, do this and live. Problem was, they couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't even get past the first one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. You ever done that? You ever been there? Can't do it. Christ did. He fulfilled the law. And in so fulfilling the law, made an end to that law, so that we are no longer under law, but we are under grace. You see, the fact that we are sinners does not negate or does not keep us from responding to this invitation. But rather because we are sinners, we have this invitation that is given to us. This is a worthy saying, or this is a faithful saying, worthy all acceptance that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Don't think that your being a sinner would keep you from finding salvation. Those are the very ones that need saving. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God. See, herein we have not only a gracious invitation, but we have a powerful support and reasons by which that invitation should be responded or responded to and enforced. For he is God. I am God, I am El, I am the Almighty One. I am the Creator. That's what he says back in verse 18. For thus saith the Lord who created the heavens, God himself, who formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. The same with heaven. He didn't create a place called heaven to be empty. He's prepared a place for his people, that his people might be where he is to enjoy him, to have fellowship with him, 
and to have communion with him. This is the creator speaking, for I am thy God. That's something I have noticed. Whenever you read, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New, whenever you read of someone trying to, quote, defend uh, the word of God, the cause of Christ and what he's doing, they always go back to creation. Have you ever noticed that? Look at that next time and see if they don't do that. When he speaks a word that somebody might have a problem with, he says, for example, when, when we hear Paul write and tell us that God chose Esau and passed by or hated Esau and loved Jacob, he said it was done while they were in the womb to the purpose that his election might stand. And so as he continues on through that, he says, shall we say that there is unrighteousness with God? No, God forbid, why not? Because it is he that has made us, he's the potter. Does not the potter have power over the clay to make of that clay what he will? Yes, he went back to the fact that he is creator. God identifies himself with that. He is a creator. I am El. I am the Almighty One, the One who's created you. We saw this earlier how it is that is in God that mercy and truth have come together, and as such have no need of being reconciled. And He has, <coughs> excuse me, no need to reconcile with Himself His justice and his mercy. Both are found in everlasting union in the person of God. God does not change. He does not cease being just that he might show mercy. And he does not cease showing mercy that he might be just. He does both. He declares himself to be both just and a just God and a savior at the same time. For he is a just God. Paul said of the law over in Romans chapter seven, verse 12, he said, the law is holy. It is just, it is good. There was nothing wrong with the law that was given to Moses. The problem wasn't with the law, the problem was the people to whom it was given. They had no life, they had no ability to observe and obey that law. It is this holy, this just and good law that must be obeyed. And if not, it brings death. What are the wages of sin? It's death. But you see, justice is not merely the infliction of punishment. When, when we think of words today, we think of them in terms of how we use them. And so when people talk about things like justice and just, they think of punishment. You know? This is something that has happened and it would only be just that they be punished. But when we consider God, it's not just punishment but rather it is a love of truth. It's a love of purity. It's a love of righteousness. 
the reason that we were given a law was to show us, to teach us. Because of transgression, it was to teach us something of our sinfulness, and it was to be our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that is, up until the time of Christ. Uh, we have a lot of misunderstanding, I think, on that passage where uh, Paul mentions that in Galatians, I think it is chapter 3, verse 24, about the law being our schoolmaster. It was our pedagogue. It's the one to teach us, to train us. And what did it teach us? That we are sinners and God is holy, is what it taught us. That he is so holy and demands holiness in his people. And if we fall short of that, then we deserve punishment. We will, we will die. Now we have some evidence that he is a just God. Do you remember, do you recall the angels that fell? Remember when you read about how Lucifer rebelled against God and a third of the angels were uh, caught up in that rebellion and cast out of heaven? There's no gospel for that group of angels. They are in chains of darkness preserved unto judgment. Why? Because God is just God. He's a holy God. Consider Adam and Eve, our parents in the Garden of Eden. What happened to them when they sinned? They were driven forth out of paradise. Why? Because they had sinned and didn't have a just God. What about all the inhabitants that lived at the time of Noah? Noah was told, he was given instructions on how to build this ark. He built this large craft, and God determined who was going to be on that. There's Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives and the animals that, they had called, that he had called forth. All the rest of the inhabitants of the earth perished. Why? God is a just God. He is a holy God. Sodom and Gomorrah, those wicked cities that uh, plagued Lot for his lifetime, God destroyed those cities and the cities of the plains with fire from heaven. Why? Because he's a just God. Some of you may or may not remember the name Joe Terrell. He was a pastor from, I think it was Idaho or Iowa or somewhere out there. Came to a conference here and he preached at three points of his message were God is a just God and will by no means clear the guilty. Second point was we're all guilty. <laughs> a lot of hope there, isn't there? And then the third one of course, was that Christ came to die for sinners uh, that we might have life. That's basically what he's telling us here. God is a just God. He is a righteous God. And he will not 
He is of purer eyes than to look upon sin. He will not tolerate sin. These proofs of justice only reflect the great price that was paid by our Lord Jesus Christ as our vicarious substitute. Why? Because God cannot receive us as we are in our sin, but has to cleanse us. Every sin that you commit, every sin that I commit, has to be punished by a holy God, or he ceases to be holy. And he has done that. God does not arbitrarily forgive sin. He forgives us for Christ's sake. Because Christ in himself, we are told, was made to be sin. For those, the one who knew no sin was made to be sin. For those who were only sinners might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see in the sufferings, when you read the passion of the Christ and read of the things that he endured, the physical pain and the agony that he endured, we see something there of the justice of God. But there was a lot of soul agony that was not manifest to others. Christ said that he, he was agonized unto death. He endured things in a spiritual sense that we'll never have to endure. We cannot begin to fathom the depth of the justice and the wrath of God because Christ has borne it for us so that we could learn and knew, know something of the depth of the mercy and the love of God. You see, Christ is the revelation of God the Savior. I was his purpose in coming was to glorify the Father. We made reference earlier to the book of Romans chapter 3. Turn over there for a minute. What we quoted earlier was Romans verse 24, but this is Romans 3, 26. Well, let's read verse 25 and 26. God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God didn't deal with sin immediately in the people. There were a time, a time that he showed mercy but he says he did this to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and justifier of him who believeth in Jesus. There is no boasting then, it is excluded by what law of works, nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles only, seeing it is one God 
who shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Christ came that he might manifest God as Savior. God had already revealed to others his justice, his holiness. But he revealed in a special way his mercy and grace through and in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we may be delivered from the penalty that's demanded by justice, but not delivered from God's purity. We are reconciled to that. Be ye holy as I am holy. You see, the holiness of God has not changed. The justice of God now becomes our friend, knowing that he will not demand double payment for our sin. He's a just God. Christ paid for our sins, and therefore he does not demand that we pay for our sins. But rather, he reveals himself to us, the Savior. He will make us to be, in Christ, what he has declared us to be in the gospel. He has justified us. What does that mean? He has pardoned us. He has said that you are considered to be clean, without sin. And therefore, the work of the blessed spirit now is to take the word of God and the blood that Christ shed and apply it to our hearts in such a way that we are conformed more and more from grace to grace to bear the image of him who is our Lord and Savior. So in this we have a gracious invitation. We have an invitation empowered by a just and holy God, but a merciful God. And that has made the hope of this invitation a certain thing. Look at verse 23. Look unto me, he says in verse 22, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none else. I have sworn by myself. Sound familiar? Remember over in the book of uh, Hebrews? It tells us there that when God had made an oath, had sworn something to Abram, he said because he could not swear by any greater, he swore by himself. That's what he says here. I have sworn by myself. There's none greater than me. And I'm swearing by myself that I will do what I have just told you I would do. If you look unto me, you shall be saved. You believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the only living Son of God, and you shall be saved. He says the word has gone out and it will be effectual. Verse 23, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness. Been speaking in vanity. It's not a false hope. It's not a false invitation. He doesn't say, look unto me and be saved. And then when you say, Lord, I look, he says, sorry, not you. That's not it. 
it was spoken in righteousness and it shall not return. It's going to accomplish its purpose in sending it. Look in the next chapter, 46, verse 11. Second part of the verse. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. It's certain. God said it. It's going to happen. And look at the word that shall not return to him void. Do you see that in the next part? I have sworn by myself that this is going to come to pass. I have spoken. The words have gone out of my mouth in righteousness shall not return. And what did he speak? That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear or confess. You heard that before? Turn over to the book of Philippians. When you read a passage in the Old Testament, you want to know how you should understand it, how you should receive it, and it's quoted in the New Testament. Go to the New Testament and see how it's applied. Philippians chapter 2. He says, let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore? God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He's talking about our Lord here, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. To what end? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the word that has gone forth out of his mouth, and that is the word that he has sworn shall come to pass. And it's going to happen just that way. It'll either happen in time that you will bow your knee and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God in mercy and salvation, or when he comes back and reveals himself as the reigning king those people will have to bow the knee and confess that he is Lord to the glory of Father in their judgment. Either way, every knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. We have quite an invitation here. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. May God Grant that we would have the grace of faith to believe his word and to look to him. Can we sing our dismissal song? You can stand with me if you want to. We'll be dismissed in a moment.
with a benediction. It's one of the things when you get older, your mind goes blank and you can't always remember the words that you're about to say. So I'm going to read them to you. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. You're dismissed.